This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. Well, guys, we can probably get started here. So, uh, Good morning and welcome to Gospel 101. This is week five and we're going to discuss justification today. Before we get going, my name's Nick, if I haven't met you yet, uh, and I have met most of you, uh, and we have a smaller crowd today, so we'll have some good time for discussion, and uh, I hope we get uh, several of our attendees that, that were on spring break or traveling this week to, to listen to our podcast, and so uh, if you're listening, please take the time to go through some of the questions and, and get the most that you can out of this week's lesson. So before we jump into week five and justification, I'd like to just review a few things from last week. Last week was lesson four, and we just talked about Christ and uh, pointed out a few things that are, are really great about who Jesus is and what he did. And one of those was the uh, importance of the temptation of Jesus. And in that, we, we identified some similarities and some differences between how Jesus was tempted uh, by the devil after he was baptized and, and was fasting in the wilderness to how Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden. And uh, some of the similarities were uh, quite interesting as uh, Satan tempted Jesus in the same way that he tempted Adam by coming to him with food and trying to tempt with the flesh of just a, a meal or the next thing that would, would taste good to uh, the flesh. Satan also twisted God's word uh, many times to both Jesus and to Adam. And Satan promised both Adam and Jesus that they could be like God. A key difference, though, however, was... Um, how Jesus responded to how Adam responded in those things. You see, when, when Adam was tempted, he didn't respond with uh, truth back to the devil. And so he was deceived, where Jesus perfectly, because he knows the scriptures, responded back to Satan using scripture in the context that, that God intended and so was able to hold to truth and just be a sweet model for us even in what it looks like when, when we're tempted to sin, how we can fight the lies of the devil. It's also interesting to note a key difference is that Adam had a lush, plentiful, full garden with full life and no sin and all that he needed with perfect unity with God. And um, Jesus was actually in a really barren place in the desert he hadn't eaten for a very long time, uh, 40 days at this point, and uh, his flesh was tired, and uh, and so in a much in a much different place than Adam was while he was being tempted. Also, um, uh, the temptation of Adam was interesting because. Uh, in comparison to Jesus, because when Adam was tempted to be like God, it was a vague correlation of, you can be like God. But Jesus was actually taken up, and Satan took him to the very places, the highest point in the temple and the nations in the world that he could control. And so it was a very physical, uh, visual, right now temptation. And uh, praise the Lord that Jesus proved that he was perfectly obedient through all of that, that he, uh, as Hebrews says, as we're going through Hebrews as a church, Hebrews 4 uh, says that he was uh, tempted as we are, yet was without sin. And so then we can have uh, confidence to come to God in that way. So Jesus was perfectly obedient. He modeled how we can uh, combat the lies of the devil and uh, and follow in his footsteps. So, does anybody have any questions as we reviewed last week and consider those things? No. You know, another point that we discussed last week was how Jesus is victoriously risen. And we looked to 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, a couple verses in that section that really stuck out to me were verse 16 and 17. For if the dead were not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. 
that without the resurrection of Jesus, that what we're doing today, gathering together, is meaningless. And uh, we, that goes on to say, we should be pitied of all people because we are living a lie, essentially. But uh, we know that's not true. And he did burst forth from the grave three days later, and he's victoriously risen. And so the importance of the resurrection is uh, client, uh, very important to our entire faith. And um, so we praise the Lord for his resurrection. So as we move on, this week we're going to uh, dive into justification. And justification, as uh, Jeff Dodge writes in this chapter, is of utmost importance to the life of the believer. So today I, I hope to leave you with uh, a key understanding of what justification is, to know truly what justification is, and also to identify and be able to refute false views of justification and to point them out and to, to uh, know what is a counterfeit to what is true justification. So for now, uh, we're going to turn to page 61 and 62 in our book uh, and go through those key terms, law and grace and faith and righteousness. And I'd like you guys to spend a few minutes on your own defining those and then uh, as a group as a t at, a, at your tables discussing how you define those, and we'll come back in a couple minutes. So as we come up from our group discussion, uh, let's discuss what you guys came up with for definitions of each of these words. Let's start with the first one, with the law. What kind of uh, definition did you come up with? Yeah, that's, so you're getting that out of uh, that <coughs> Romans passage of the rules that were spoken to Moses, and, and uh, those would have been pointing to in Exodus when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Uh, primarily, you know, the law is much larger than that with several commands in the Old Testament, but, but really that summarizes the, the key points of the law. And uh, what's interesting about the law, Jesse, I heard you mention it in uh, both 3.20 and in 4.15 uh, in Romans there, it... it states that the law shows us what sin is. So the law is uh, referring to the Ten Commandments, and the purpose of that is to reveal to our hearts that we are utterly sinful before a holy God. Does anybody else have any other comments on, on the law or how we can build a better understanding of defining that? I said like a measure. A measure, measure. yeah. It's a report card, and we failed every single one of them. <laughs> that's good. So, no, that's a that's a good good point to make. And it just even as you're taking notes, three twenty and four fifteen, those are uh, those are key verses to show us and remind us that the law shows us what sin is, and that we've failed in sinning against a holy God. Let's move on to grace. How would you define grace? Okay. Anybody want to build off of that? I said getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we deserve. Yeah. Getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. I really like that definition, and I think that definition actually encompasses both mercy and grace. Uh, mercy, I'm even trying to teach my kids the basics of mercy and grace in uh, in parenting and obedience and giving rewards and things like that. and. So we talk about this often of, uh, I didn't give you what you deserved. You deserve punishment, and I didn't give you that, and that is mercy. And when, even when my child does something wrong and I give them a snack or uh, something that they wanted or, or a privilege or whatever, that that is the perfect picture of getting something that you don't deserve is grace. So uh, 
pretty small differences, but key in just under, going deeper in our understanding of, of the gospel. So, yeah, grace, getting what we don't deserve. I love how Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 points out this, uh, that for it is by grace that we have been safe through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so that, that idea of a free gift that God has given us, that's, that's what grace is. How about our next word? How about faith? Yeah, I appreciated uh, Mark quoting uh, Romans 11, uh, being, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, it is a, a belief that God is who he says he is. And uh, finally, righteousness. Can anybody define or give some thoughts on righteousness? Yeah. So what, what does that mean? When we are made righteous, what is... Remained um, pure. Yeah, exactly. The righteousness... Righteousness is right standing with God, that we are pure uh, and covered. Those are those are great definitions. I appreciated uh, just dialoguing with your discussions, and uh, those are really important terms, especially as we think of number one uh, goals of the class that we've talked about of going deeper in our own understanding of the gospel. Like even discussing that difference between mercy and grace has been really foundational to my understanding of how I pray and how I communicate with the Lord, and going deeper in understanding of the gospel. But also even as we engage lost people, like they don't have right definitions for these words. So it's a, it's a poor assumption if we're sharing with someone who doesn't know the Lord to assume that they know these and, and actually to know that when you say that the law says that you've, you have sinned against God, that that probably went right over a non-believer's head. Uh, it's kind of this uh, language that we like to call Christianese. Uh, and so being able to talk in simple terms of uh, uh, pointing that the law is actually the Ten Commandments and God gave it to us to show us what sin is, is, is an easy, like a simple sentence, but it's actually profound to the listener to take all that noise out of what they're hearing you're saying and try to make it simple so that uh, it can actually uh, cut to the heart. You know, the, the Lord does the work for sure, but uh, we, we should do our best to communicate clearly and simply. Karen, you have a I have thought? A question. Sure. <clears throat> so we now, because of Jesus, have the, we're going to sin, but we have the grace and mercy. Yep. Back like when they were going around Mount Sinai and had the Ten Commandments, and they were going to sin too. How did they, because they didn't have the blood of Jesus to cover their sins, how did they get right with God then? Mark, you want to field this question? Well, that's what Hebrews 8 through 10 is going to be our encouragement, right? The Hebrews class on the covenant. So that uh, one quote that I've been using there is the people of God have always been that those that hear, embrace, and persevere in the word of God. Those are the people of God. And so we see that um, I would say that those sacrifices in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, or even before that, those are just a type of what is to come. And that the promise is concluded in Jesus Christ. So we see in Hebrews 11 that everyone from all time has been saved by Jesus Christ's blood so that's before and after the covenant so one is in faith of what was to come knowing that Christ would save them and now we have seen the covenant of grace concluded fully revealed so that's why we're able to trust in Christ but they were saved through Christ as well it's like walking through the blood of animals that that, so that, that, that was just a type of what is to come it was to point to Jesus' blood because Hebrews says um that, I mean, there's a simple one in Hebrews 7, 16. We're going to go through a lot, but um, it's Hebrews 7, 18, and 19. 
the previous command <coughs> is a null because it was weak and unprofitable. For the law perfected nothing, but a better hope had been introduced through which we draw near to God. And so all people at all times have been able to come before God and be saved because of the blood of Jesus. So the blood of the animals was only to point to the, the needed sacrifice of Christ. It did not save I think a key point to that, the blood of the sacrifice in the Old Testament is a temporary covering that satisfied the temporary wrath of God so that they could have right relationship with him. But the fullness is demonstrated in even what Paul pointed to last week of the, the Jesus being the, the merciful and faithful high priest. Like he is, although their sins were temporary covered by that lamb, like he is the perfect final sacrifice and he is the actually the high priest who represents us before God both at the same time so and something you said earlier stuck in my brain about how Adam and Eve were tempted with food yeah and so was Jesus Jesus quoted scripture that Adam and Eve had this lush garden and they had everything they want but they didn't have any scripture to fall back on other than God told them not to eat it but they didn't have you know Jesus said it is written sure it is written, but it was, they could have said it is spoken. Yeah, yeah, I told this. Yeah, but they believe what Satan said. Yep. Fell into it, you know. Sure. Lured into it. Yeah, great, great discussion and good question. So here's a question that may not be the best one. Have you <laughs> saved after death? after they died on earth? Yeah. Uh, I would say no. If, if they ended their life, they were either right with God or they were not right with God. And just like, just like we were talking about in the Catholic faith of, of praying for those who have died before us, like after you have died, that then you will stand before the Lord uh, at the final judgment in however you ended your life in, re in relationship with him. So, um, final judgment yet to come or their final judgment when they die? Uh, I'm interested what Mark would think on this, but I, I, would, I would point to the final judgment of like we're all judged before the Lord at the same time and that those who have gone before us are, uh, are waiting that final judgment. So you might think about that intermediate state and feel sorry for family members who have gone before if they're um, they're not technically in heaven or however that process uh, functions. But once once you die, you're outside of time. Like we, our mind is so wrapped around time. But the Lord stands looking at the the beginning of history to the end outside of time picture it on like a line and he stands looking out and it's all happening at exactly the same time when you're outside of time so uh, I think once we die that's it's not like you're waiting a couple thousand years in this intermediate state you know but that's a tangent and uh, <laughs> an interesting discussion nonetheless so does that answer your question Kim uh, yes no <laughs> What, what what led to that question of were Adam and Eve saved after they were after they died? Well, I was remembering back in Genesis where God said, "Why can I allow you to live forever now, knowing that you know sin, sure, good." So that's what also brought that up. So I just remembered back to that. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. So uh, I I think the context of what that was happening was they were going to live forever, like they. Death did not come until sin entered the world. When they were deceived by the devil, they broke what God's command, and they uh, and they sinned against God. So then, death came as a result of sin. And so, prior to that, they were going to live for a long time. But now, okay, death is here, and they were in the garden. And there were two trees in the garden: the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of uh, life which if you ate from the tree of knowledge and evil, good and evil, you 
received the knowledge of good and evil, which is they did and they sinned against God. If you ate from the tree of life, then you would receive, uh, you would live in the state that you were in forever. And so God kicked them out of the garden so that they would not eat that tree of life and live in the result of their sin forever. Does that make sense? Anything to add to that, Mark? So, I mean, just going on that, essentially God was very merciful by kicking them out of the garden. Sure. Like, that was the best possible thing that could have happened to them, is to allow them to suffer physical death so they did not live eternally, spiritually separated from them. Okay. So did God know before everything that they were going to do that? He must have known they were going to do that. I mean, I know we don't know. You guys are breaking out all the easy questions today. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you know, we have free will. They have free will. We have free will. But yet he knows what we're going to do, doesn't he? No matter what. I mean, it's not a surprise like, oh, no, Karen just did that. You know, he's not surprised because he knows. Mm -hmm. So he must have known that. <laughs> I, I'm, he, I'm waiting for her to finish her question. And then he says, where are you looking for them in the garden after they had sinned? They and he already knew that they had sinned. He already knew that they, they were hiding. I mean, didn't he? I mean, yeah, did he know certainly. before he created Adam? In his foreknowledge, he knew everything that has happened in eternity past and everything that will happen in eternity future. And the beauty is he gave us free will. So we didn't have to be robots that had only a default to choose God, but he let us choose right or choose wrong. And uh, the beauty though in the garden, it's not like, it's not like God was surprised by what happened. And in the, when we uh, studied that uh, in Genesis three is that it's already pointing to Jesus. When he addresses Adam and Eve and the result of their sin is gonna, result in them getting kicked out of the garden and he addresses the snake and he in and he's already pointing to uh what's called the the first pointing to the gospel of how uh a, the seed uh will rise up which is jesus and and crush satan's head and so uh it's not like he had to come up with a solution it didn't come for a long time but yeah his plan from all along has been that Prior to that is when Satan was thrown out of heaven for trying to be, because he used to be worshipped. He was an angel, yeah. Yeah. So prior to that, he had already been sent out of heaven, right? Wasn't for him he, to be in the garden. Wasn't he the angel named the Lucifer who got jealous of God's power? So this is very difficult because this interpretation of Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, that So, I mean, that's, however that happened, it's not exactly foundational to uh, life in Christ, but an interpretation would point to what you were describing uh, as him being a, a fallen angel and taking a third of the angels with him and, and being an enemy of God. So. That we know is true. Yeah, for sure. Good questions. <laughs> All right, so before we have any other mega questions, let's, uh, uh, let's jump into defining justification. Uh, as a table, I, I think I'd like you just to discuss for about two minutes and come up with a definition on how would you define justification. All right, so coming back from our table discussion to discuss as a group now, uh, can anybody give me a sentence or two of how you define justification? My own words or read it out of here. It says, Jesus took on the punishment of our sin when he died on the cross to set us free, to set you free and to fulfill for you your sins and gave you the very righteousness and perfection of Jesus. Mm, yeah. So he's like a substitute. He, he did what we Beautiful. Jesus took our punishment, and we got his righteousness. And he didn't deserve any of it. Exactly. But he took it all. 
I appreciated the simplicity of the three circles example in the book, who I believe he said was, uh, was that Ravi Zacharias? Or who gave him that example? Arashti Sproul, the other R guy. So with the first circle, we stand before God with all of our sin as this circle is colored in and uh, that's what we bring to the table. And through uh, faith in Jesus, he cleanses us of our sin. He takes uh, our sin away from us and we stand before a holy God as clean as the, the middle circle is white and, and covered uh, by the blood of God which cleaned it white as snow as scriptures described uh, as we stand before God. And, and he doesn't just finish there, but the, the last circle has uh, many, 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 many plus signs in it. And just to represent how Jesus hasn't just taken our sin and made us clean again to restore to our uh, uh, original state, but he's taken us and actually given us the, the perfect righteousness of Jesus so that when the Father looks on us anymore, he doesn't see our sinful self anymore. He doesn't see us as just uh, non-sinners. He sees the perfection of the Son of God. And that is, that's our identity now. That's who we are as standing before a holy God. So just a simple exercise. Uh, and I love using pictures to describe uh, profound truths because it makes it way simpler. So maybe you can even incorporate this in how you share the gospel at some point. You know, the bridge diagram is a, a basic, easy picture that can kind of travel with people, but this so simple yet uh, so profound at the same time. I uh, appreciated the definition in our chapter this week uh, from, from that book. What was the book? Systematic Theology, I believe. And the definition of justification was God simultaneously forgives us our sin and gives us his righteousness. We are declared righteous in his sight. Yeah, I love that song that says we are the sons and daughters. We are. Yeah. Only because of the, you know, the Absolutely. That's, we are. We can claim that. That's focusing on our identity, yeah, like yeah. Not, not just receiving uh, the righteousness of God because we received way more than just being called righteous. We're now children of the king, mm -hmm. and that living in who God has made us because of the blood of Jesus is, is reminding, us, reminding ourselves of, of that regularly and growing in living in that new identity mm -hmm. even though we remember our old identity. Does anybody else have any thoughts or comments on justification. So I wrote on the board here one of the passages that was part of that chunk in Romans 3 that uh, we were studying this week to come up with our definitions uh, for those words on page 61 and 62. And it's uh, Romans 3, 22 through 25. I mentioned this a few weeks ago when, when we did that podcast as uh, one of my really favorite passages in the whole scriptures to really define the uh, fullness of the gospel as not, not just super basic as, you know, John three sixteen, but providing more depth. And it, and it talks about this justification by grace as we were describing this week. And so... Um, I'll just read that out loud, and, uh, and then we'll process through what that looks like in order. Because in, in, this, in the passage, it seems to be a little jumbled in how I would perceive that to happen in the life of a believer, how they go from being uh, lost to being saved. But let's just go through that quickly. So, exactly, the Romans road. Uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are freely justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a payment by his blood to be received by faith. So this is loaded with key words and very key themes to understanding the fullness of the gospel. 
found my marker here. So to start with, we all stand before God uh, as we all have sinned against the holy God, which we discussed later in uh, Romans 3 and in, in chapter 4, that the law shows us what sin is, right? So in that same con context, the law shows us what sin is. We've all broken the law, so all have sinned. And when we've sinned, that means that we've fallen short of the requirement to be holy and to be righteous before a holy God. That because sin, we have sinned, we are now unrighteous or sinners. And so that describes how we have fallen short of who God is and what he has called us to do. Now for to turn the corner as we stand before a, God, a holy God as sinners, how we get to be right with God is through belief and through faith. So the last verse describes how first we have to receive this payment for his blood by faith. But also in the first verse, that the righteousness of God through faith is for who? All who believe. So that's really why we did identify those definitions today is what is belief? What is faith? Well, faith is belief. It is that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is the son of God and that he, he died the perfect death to cover our sins and was raised for our justification. So belief is what makes us right with God. And I don't want to confuse you on these last uh, three verses because they kind of all happen simultaneously, but they are different things that are going on while someone is coming to God. And that justification by grace that we've been discussing, that, that justification where, pointing back to our three circles, before we come to God by faith, we are identified by our sin. But when we come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, then we are justified. So when we are justified, we receive that righteousness, which is interesting how Paul starts this. He kind of starts at the end, right? Like it starts with uh, the righteousness of God through faith. Like that, that really is what we get after we Identify that we're sinners after we believe, after we receive justification, then we stand before God righteousness as righteous. So he, he starts that way. And uh, so when I recite this verse, I like to say this again at the end, this, this first uh, sentence. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Because it, it really falls in line down here at the end. So we've sinned against God. We've fallen short. We come to him in faith. In that moment, when we come to him in faith, we, we bring our sin and he makes us righteous before God. And in that transaction of justification, we have a redeemed relationship. This talks about this free gift of grace through the redemption, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus not only covers us of our, of our sin and not only gives us the righteousness of Jesus. The point of the gospel is that we have sinned against God and, and that relationship with the Father has been broken. And so Jesus serves, as the bridge diagram really points out, that he is what has redeemed wrong, broken relationship and made it whole again, made it right. So we have re redeemed relationship with the Father and in that we have received Christ's righteousness. Just a really beautiful picture of the depth of the gospel in three simple verses. So I, I challenge you to memorize this, to study it, to even do something like this as I wrote out uh, those basic truths of, of what God has done in and through the gospel. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Great. Now this is good. Starting with, starting with that picture, focusing on passages like this, it takes us again to a deeper understanding of the richness of the gospel. And when I study this, it causes me to worship all the more. You know, so. So if you were talking to somebody who says, 
That's just where you can guide. Did you go here? That's a, that's a great he question. We talked about Romans Road. We talked about that in our connection group. Yeah. And Michael said we could go here and go there and all back and forth. I think that this is a great passage, uh, but it may be confusing to try to just do what I just did with an unbeliever, right? Like, so you're, you guys know the Lord, you understand a lot of these terms, so you could go here. Because um, I thought the Romans Road was kind of, I mean, for me to tell somebody that seemed way over there. Yeah. Got more than they could understand. It really depends on, like, if they don't believe in God, like, this doesn't actually mean yeah. anything to them because they're like, well, there is no judgment, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about maybe some of your Catholic relatives or other people you know that have some foundation, you have to redefine the terms. But I think people can understand what is here. Yeah, and you could either use this whole thing or you could just use chunks of it. For example, uh, verse 23 here. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Like you could just focus on that and you get a, a lot of the picture of the gospel of starting with the sin of man, which is what Romans Road starts with, is 3.23, but not just ending there, but talking about how you can be made right with God. It's through grace and it's through Jesus discuss what redemption is um, so uh, that that is a place to start and like Mark said it really depends on the person that you're sharing with An another great passage that's also part of that Romans Road discussion is Romans 6:23, which is for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus like that that is the most basic uh, picture of the gospel that starts with how you can talk about the Ten Commandments and show them what sin is, uh, you've been working for your wages, haven't you? You've been working for, for death. And then uh, I, I would use that verse when I do the, the bridge diagram, for example. And the but is the middle. The but is the cross and the, the free gift of God is eternal life. So, yeah. That seems easier to understand. Sure. So as we grow in, in confidence and repetition in sharing the gospel, I think it's, it's profitable to even identify uh, key passages to share. And if, if you can start with the most basic one and just be really confident in it, you can build off of that uh, with um, maybe sharing with someone who has more of a religious background and knowing uh, a couple other verses. And so, yeah, I would aim at starting simple and, and, and then they build from there. So. Well, great discussion, guys. From there, uh, I'd like to go back to our books, and we will spend a few minutes at our table discussing those four false views of justification on page 66 and 67. And I would uh, like us to identify, have you ever had one of these false views in your life? And how does that change how you share the gospel today? So let's discuss that for a couple minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right, so now that we come back from our group discussion of uh, which of these views did you identify with from your past and how does that change how you share the gospel now? Can I get a, a couple of us to share their, their thoughts on that? Karen, let's start with you. I know the first one. False view number one, good works equal justification. Yeah. That's Yet, the way I grew up. You grew up with a Catholic background, right? And that was that was taught often. So how does that change how you engage with people now? Oh, I serve a loving God. Mm -hmm. I didn't serve a loving God then. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't really serve God very much then anyway, but I, God was this big mass in the sky that kept track of everything I did. Sure. He was going to clobber me someday for all of it. He just judged me. And, and then when I got saved, kept saying, God loves you. Every day he'd say that on the show. God loves you. I never heard that before. Mm. I know that sounds naive. He just seems like a wrathful God. And yeah, I never knew a loving God, and I never knew he loved me. Wow. So that helps to share it, because he is a loving God who 
loves us anyway, no matter what we've done. Beautiful. He loves us. And he died for me. You know, even if I was the only one, he would have did that for me. That's how much he loves me. He never knew that before. Mm. I was always trying to work to get sure. his approval. Not necessarily Jesus, but God's approval. That's the... Uh... I'm so glad that you have right understanding of that now, and that's beautiful as you get to engage, especially as you're sharing with your religious family and their background, that you you can share with right example of this is a wrong view of who the, the Bible says God is and how to be right with him, and this is the right view. So that's great. How about you, Cam? Well, since I grew up with no religious background, I never really had false view or false faith. Sure. I always never believed or I always consider myself atheist. Gotcha. Yeah, so how does that change how you share now without even without identifying with one of these, does that does that change how you share with people? It helped me realize the struggle of trying to find religion if you've been raised up with uh, false views and seeing bad things about religion. Mm. For sure. Yeah, so you can identify with that person that was not raised in the church, which is really a, a ever-growing number in our population now as we move into a post-Christian culture where, uh, you know, anybody who's 30 to 70 today, the, a lot of the population grew up attending church or being around it, but... Uh, evermore that you can really identify with a growing part of the population and uh, I think what's key in understanding this is the Lord has brought us through whatever he has for a purpose and and we might look at our story and wonder why God did what he did but uh, we each have uh, unique ability because of our past to identify with the Lord and share with people um, and and you can identify, Cam, with people that I grew up with a religious background so that it's a lot harder for me to, to understand that. So that's really great. So, yeah, going through a couple of these, as we talked about, number one, uh, good works equals justification. It is, it is really a, a false view thinking that we can be made right with God by doing anything. And um, number two is really tied to that is but it actually includes faith plus good works and so doing the right thing plus working really hard for god that makes us right with god and what's there's a beautiful passage which it points out in the book here is that ephesians 2 8 9 which we discussed but also in verse 10 uh, that on one hand we are not saved by our good works it is completely false that Anything about working hard for God makes us right with him. Actually, the only thing, here's a one-liner, the, the only thing that uh, you bring to your salvation is the sin that was required for it. And uh, so the, the very next verse in that Ephesians passage is uh, discussing how God has prepared good works for us in advance to do. So, no, you haven't been saved by them, but there's a lot of work to do that he has empowered you to do for his will. And so it's just a right understanding of how you're saved is without the works, but the works are a result of your heart being saved. James 2 also discusses that for further reference if you want to go further. A profession of faith equals justification, number three. Uh, I've seen this happen before where somebody prayed a prayer once in their life and they walk from that and would and think that they are justified before a holy God. But the act of, of praying a prayer is not actually where true justification and true salvation happens if your heart is far from God. Saying words with your mouth is not salvation, but saying words with your mouth that is uh, backed up through a heart that is uh, of broken before the Lord, who believes that he is, who he says he is, who wants to repent and live for him, that's, that would be a, a true profession of faith that would result in, in justification. And so just differentiating between those as we, as we talk to people is, is really key. 
Does that result in salvation then? Like, can somebody lose their salvation? Absolutely not. Okay. No. Uh, that. Yeah, and and that will be uh, discussed in for in in a lot more depth in the coming weeks in Hebrews. Uh, so, great question. The short answer is for our time now is is no. Um, and then finally, a faith equals justification, but good works equal right standing before God. Uh, I can fall, because of my religious background, more into this one of uh, if I, I know that I'm saved because of my faith, but if I have days where my performance as a Christian is not uh, to the highest standard that I like it to be, that I, I got up early, I spent time with the Lord, I prayed, and I didn't say bad words, then I had a good day. But on, and so, therefore, I'm close to God and I'm, I'm right with God. But on days where uh, I, I said some things that I regret and I didn't get up early, I didn't spend time with the Lord, uh, that I, I don't have right standing before God. I have a lot less confidence to come before him. And so what's true about that is in any relationship, if you spend time together and invest in it, you're probably going to have a closer relationship. But what's false about that is uh, it does not affect my standing before him. In my worst of days, because I've been justified, I'm still a child of God, as you were pointing out. I'm still righteous. I'm still (coughs) perfect in his eyes. And so uh, what's been the most fruitful in my life on those days when I... uh, I feel far from the Lord. I've been too busy to get time with him. It's just to say a simple prayer and ask him to remind me of what's true about who he says I am and, and hold fast to that. And, um, and that it really is a game changer to rebuke the lies of the enemy that might come up and say, well, you're not having it. Your performance stinks today, you know, and, but to hold the fast to the truth that I am right before God and, and he does love me as you were talking about. Man, we've covered a lot of good topics today. I have encouraged. <laughs> have a little bit better discussions too. Yeah, for sure. So, guys, uh, in our in our closing question here, and maybe we can just even engage as a as a group here is how should the truth about justification transform us today? What is different about my life because I am justified by God? Peace. We have peace before him, absolutely. And we can come before him without shame. Because mm. Satan will like to tell us, you can't really ask him that. Because you did, you know. But we can boldly come before the throne. Mm. You're quoting all kinds of <laughs> songs today. But they're based out of truth, so that's great. You can boldly come before the throne. Absolutely. Because of Jesus only. Mm. So how should the truth about justification transform us? I, I think those, those answers, uh, and in the fullness of the answer, simple yet profound, that we, we, are trans- we can be excuse me, we are transformed by the truth of justification because it brings right standing with God where we don't have any shame, we have peace, we have right relationship, uh, and I think really a confidence as we go through our day that uh, we are children of the living God, we're close to him, and that that gives us confidence in who we are, that we, we don't need approval of other people. We're fully loved, fully approved, fully right with God, that we can go through our day today in his strength, living for him um, from that place. I'm challenged to daily remind myself of those truths because when I live in that, I, I, if I believe that truth about who God says that I am, I am ready to be used in great ways in that day and confidence when that opportunity comes to share or to serve someone. Uh, I view myself rightly, so I'm ready to do those things. But on, on days where I don't view myself rightly and I, I think of myself as a dirty, rotten sinner, when those opportunities come up, I'm probably going to shy away. I'm probably going to, Satan's going to remind me that I blew it 
and that I, I probably shouldn't be so bold about the gospel because you just failed in your sin. And so it's, it's really coming back to who does God say that I am and how do I live out of that? So guys, I, uh, I really appreciated this conversation today. I hope you uh, enjoyed it as well, that it, that it took you deeper in your understanding of the gospel and, and drew you nearer to Jesus. This week, our challenge is to do Lesson 5 survey, which says, is there more than one way to God? This will lead to some uh, great discussions, I think. Uh, and uh, remember to have those with humbleness and then even, even a great response is, is to ask if you can share your thoughts on that as well. Also do the reading for lesson six, which is now our response, which is uh, page 76 through 82. From there, guys, I'd like to just pray for us and, and close out. <coughs> oh, Lord, we worship you this morning as the risen king. We rejoice in our hearts worship and just meditating on justification that we were once far from you we were identified by our sin and that you looked on us with mercy you didn't give us what we deserve and instead you gave us what we didn't deserve you washed us of our sin and you gave us your right standing before the lord and you made us children of the living God. So we rejoice in that today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of that as you uh, say that you will. Would you remind us of that this week, that we are children of the living God? Go before us, guide our conversations, and help us to proclaim the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. <laughs>